about a year ago, a man was found guilty and jailed for three months for in, in the du- Dublin District Court for impersonating a Garda. A year previously, he'd been driving a car when he saw a driver in front of him use her mobile phone. So he switched on the blue lights that he'd fitted to his own car and signalled for her, the car in front, to stop. But when he did, the man got much more than he bargained for. Because the car he stopped was actually an unmarked Garda patrol car. (laughs) And the occupants were plainclothes officers. So when they provided their identification and asked him for his, he initially tried to make excuses But eventually, he realised he was found out. So why was this man in trouble when the two officers weren't? Well, of course, it's because they had been appointed by the relevant authorities to have the power to stop people. But this guy, he'd just taken that power upon himself. How someone is appointed determines what authority and power They have. Last week we were rejoicing in what the writer of Hebrews wrote about Jesus being our great high priest. We were thinking about how that should encourage us to come close to God and to be confident that He'll provide us with the grace and the mercy that we need. But this only helps us if Jesus really has the right to be our high priest. If he's just impersonating a high priest, if he doesn't have the right to mediate between us and God, then he can't give us the help that he claims. And so the writer of Hebrews went on in his letter to show that Jesus did have that right. That he had been appointed as our great high priest with a better appointment than even the high priests of Judaism that they'd left behind. So this morning we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 10. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weaknesses this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. He says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In this carefully constructed passage, the writer compared and contrasted the high priests of Judaism with the high priesthood of Jesus. Between the office of high priest in the old covenant, between God and the, and the people of, of Israel, and the office of high priest in the new covenant between Jesus and the believers in him. And his purpose was to show that Jesus did not only have the right to be our high priest, but that he was superior to all who went before him. And he did this by looking at their appointment and their actions and their attitude. So first of all, he said, verse 1, every high priest is selected from among men. This was vital. They had to be identified with the people that they were representing. So they had to be one of them. Last month, a new appointment in Scotland caused an uproar across the internet. A guy called Jason Grant was appointed to a new government-funded position in the Tay region. He'd previously worked in tobacco sales, a student well-being officer, and as a personal trainer. But his new appointment was ridiculed by many. Some said that they, when they heard it first, they thought it was a joke. Others called it ridiculous or absurd. And the reason was that he is Scotland's first period dignity officer, who will be expected to visit schools and colleges, and wider communities to lead campaigns and give advice about women's health issues. And to many people, the first qualification to speak about women's health and all of the challenges that they face is, of course, to be a woman. The first qualification to be a high priest was to be one of the people. To be one of the people that they were representing. When Aaron, the first high priest of the Israelites, was appointed, the Lord said to Moses, Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites with his sons to be, so they may serve me as, high, as priests. He had to be from among them because he was going to represent them. And in a similar way, if Jesus was going to be our high priest, he would have to be one of us. And that's what the writer of Hebrews has already made clear. If you remember back in chapter 2, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That's the vital truth of the incarnation. When God became flesh, in order to be our high priest, in order to rescue us, Jesus had to become like us. 
He had to be fully human. But it wasn't just enough to be from, from the people to be a high priest. You also needed to be appointed by God from among the people. This is what verse 4 says. No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. The office of high priest was not something you volunteered for. It wasn't open to applications from anybody. You couldn't appoint yourself. It was a role that was given to the one that God chose. And a number of times in Israel's history, people tried to take that role for themselves. Numbers chapter 16 records one of those incidents. When Korah and 250 others rebelled against Moses and Aaron. This is what they said in Numbers 16 in verse 3. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? They were jealous of Moses and Aaron and the role that they had in serving before God. And they thought that they had the same right to come into God's presence as Moses and Aaron. But God disagreed. And he acted in judgment. So when they all approached God, the ground under them split open. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. They died that day because they tried to grab, take for themselves a role that God had not given to them. And so for the writer of Hebrews to show that Jesus is our great high priest, he had to show that he'd been appointed by God. And that's right at the heart of this passage. As you can see, the structure of this passage even shows that. Because right in the middle of those verses are two quotations from the Old Testament. We've seen the first of them before in chapter 1 of this letter. It's from Psalm 2 where Jesus said to Jesus, You are my son. Today I have become your father. As we saw before, this was looking forward to the time when Jesus would be raised and exalted to that royal position as king over the universe. So you reveal his unique relationship to God as the Son of God. But the second quotation here, that's from Psalm 110, and says, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek Jesus he is not a descendant of Aaron so he's not part of that Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant instead he was declared to be a priest in a different order the order of Melchizedek now we'll see more about that what that means 
about this priesthood so much more, how it was better than the Levitical priesthood. When we go on in, in the letter of Hebrews, especially in chapter 7, if you want to jump ahead, feel free and read chapter 7 and you'll find all about Melchizedek and who he was and, and why being a priest in his order is better than in the order of, of Levi, of Aaron. But for now the focus of this passage is just that G- the same God who, who declared Jesus to be the anointed one, to be the, the Messiah, to be the King. The same God is the one who appointed Jesus as the eternal priest in a new and unique priesthood. Jesus is both King and priest. So Jesus has the right to be our great high priest. Not because just he's one of us, but also because he's been appointed by God. He was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So that was his appointment. But what was Jesus appointed to do? What actions was he chosen to perform? Well, in the Old Covenant, verse 1, every high priest is appointed to represent them in matters related to God. The high priest was not just appointed from the people of God. He was also appointed for the people of God. As we mentioned last week, he is the only one who was allowed once a year to enter the most holy place, the the innermost sanctuary of the tabernacle or the temple. On his chest, he wore a breastpiece of gold, on which were mounted twelve precious stones, in four rows of three. On each of these stones was engraved one of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. In this way, Exodus chapter 28 says this, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So in a sense, Aaron didn't enter God's presence on his own. Instead, it was was like he was carrying the people of God to God with him. He was carrying them to represent them before God. He was doing this on their behalf. And this is what Jesus does. Hebrews 7 and 25 says that about Jesus that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus was appointed as the great high priest for us. He, as it were, carries us on his heart. And he is committed to representing us before God. But what did the high priest do when he entered that most holy place? Well, verse 1 again, he was to offer gifts and sacrifices 
for sins. On the Day of Atonement, he was to take two goats from the people. He would kill one of them and take its blood into the most holy place and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. This was for the sin offering for the people. Then he would take the other goat and he'd put his hand on its head and he would confess all of the sins of the people before the Lord. And then he would send that scapegoat into the desert. And in this way the goat will carry on itself all of their sins to a solitary place. And so by doing this, the high priest was making atonement for the sins of his people. And enabling them to live with God. But Jesus, he did this in a much more powerful and effective way. As we'll see in more detail later in this book, he didn't perform numerous sacrifices year after year that never really dealt with sin. Instead, he gave himself up for for us on the cross. On the cross, our sin was placed on him. On the cross, the punishment that we deserved, he received. And he died in our place. He was our scapegoat. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, he is our great high priest because he represented us and he redeemed us. And through this, verse 8, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now this causes a lot of people a lot of problems. Because how did Jesus learn obedience? Does that mean that before the cross, Jesus was disobedient? Well, of course not. But it means that through his willing sacrifice of himself on the cross, Jesus experienced in full what obedience to his Father really cost. It cost the cross. And also by doing this, he became perfect. And he became the source of eternal salvation. For all who obey him. Does that mean that Jesus before the cross wasn't perfect? Wasn't holy? Well, of course not. But it means it was only after laying down his life on the cross that Jesus was complete as our Saviour. He was perfect as our Saviour. That he was able to save us. Because Jesus radically submitted to his Father's will, he completed the work that he was given to do, and that's why he can save all who come to him. But if we want to experience this amazing gift, if we want to be saved, if we want to be forgiven, then verse 9 says that we need to obey him. 
That doesn't mean that we need to obey all of his commands as if we can earn our right to be, be, be accepted by God. As if through our obedience and our goodness we can earn a place in God's kingdom. It's not what that means at all. Instead it means that we need to obey his call. The call of the gospel. The call to trust in Jesus as our saviour and our Lord. So in a sense we are called to the same radical submission to the Father that Jesus demonstrated when he went to the cross. We need to repent of demanding our own way and receive Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. Maybe this explains why Accepting the gospel is so difficult for so many people. Why so many people struggle with this, battle with this. Because deep down, deep down we all want to be in control of our lives. Deep down we all want to do our own thing and depend on our own efforts. But it's only if we repent of that. It's only if we Stop trusting in ourselves and instead trust in Jesus and depend on Him alone that we can be saved. And saved not just for now, but for all eternity. So if any of us are here this morning and we haven't yet accepted this gift, if we're still here trying to make ourselves good enough for God, trying to depend on our own efforts, our own religion, our own keeping the rules, then please, repent. Turn away from that way because it will never work. And instead, put our trust in Jesus. Depend on Him alone. Please don't put it off any longer. Jesus alone is the source of eternal salvation. But if we do decide to come to Jesus today, then we can come confidently to Him. Because if we do submit to Him, then He will deal with gently with us this thirdly is the attitude of the high priest on the day of atonement that day when the high priest took the blood of the goat into the most holy place and put his hands on the other goat and, and sent it away the high priest didn't just make those sacrifices for the sin of the people he also had to make sacrifices for his own sin because Aaron and all the high priests that came after him were sinners too. So verse 3 says, he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. That day wasn't just a reminder of the sins of, all, of the nation, but it was also a reminder of the sinfulness of the high priest himself. And his need for that sin to be atoned for. And this had a very helpful Side effect. Because the Jewish high priests were one of them, struggling with sin, just as they did, he was able to deal 
gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weaknesses. The high priest had a certain solidarity with the people that he was serving. He knew what their lives were like. He understood their struggles with sin and shared in their battles with their doubts and with their waywardness. And so instead of cold indifference or just criticism and condemnation, he could sympathise with them. He could reach out to them with understanding, with gentleness, with grace, with love. He knew that they, he was just a sinner just like them. And so instead of putting himself above them, he could come alongside and help them. That's of course what we should do as well, isn't it? As Christians, we should be all too aware of our own sinfulness. And our, we and our weakness. We, we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross every Sunday when we take this bread and this cup. And that's the only reason for this is because of our own sinfulness. Because of our own weakness. And the very heart of our gospel is the fact that, that we are sinners in need of salvation. So we should be very aware of our sinfulness as Christians. Increasingly so. And that should stop us from judging somebody else harshly. That's why we should be gentle in how we share the gospel. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That was his attitude when he preached the gospel. Before he looked at everybody else's sin, he saw his own. From his perspective, he was worse than anyone else. Now that didn't mean that he kept on putting himself down and, and kept his distance from God and said how terrible person he was and, and stopped living for God. No, instead it meant that he understood the depth of God's grace. The grace that he had received. And so, because he was so aware of how much grace he had received, he was able to offer grace to everyone that he met. No matter who they were or what they were guilty of. That should be our attitude too, should it? So it should. When we talk about those outside of, of God's family, we shouldn't be pointing the finger and thinking they're terrible people. Because if it wasn't for Christ, we'd be just like them. This is also why we should be gentle with each other as well, in charge. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. 
when our brothers or sisters in Christ stumble into sin, when they make bad decisions, when they fail, if we judge and condemn them harshly, then we're forgetting that we too struggle with sin. That we too are weak human beings. That we too constantly need God's grace. So we should deal gently with each other and with others because we too are sinners, just like the high priest. But even more importantly, we should deal gently with each other in this way because this is how Jesus deals with us. Last week we rejoiced that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with us in our weaknesses. Jesus is not cool and detached from us. He instead suffers with us. He feels our pain. He shares in our suffering. Now that's not because he is a fellow sinner, because of course he is without sin. But it is because he's a fellow sufferer. Look at verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Some people think this is pointing back to Gethsemane. Where in agony, Jesus prayed three times for God to take away the cup of suffering that he was about to drink that's the case and it gives us a real insight into the reality of the struggle that Jesus faced. The intensity of the distress that he felt. The terror that he experienced as he looked to the cross. But he was heard by God because of his reverent submission when he prayed, not as I will, but as you will. He was heard not in the sense of being spared from the cross, but being raised again on the third day from the grave. But it's that intensity of the battle that Jesus experienced when he faced that temptation that gives him a unique insight into our struggle with sin. And enables him to deal with us gently. As we read before, verse verse 18 of chapter 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the attitude of our great high priest. So this should be the attitude of those of us who follow him and seek to live like him. So this morning, we can rejoice that Jesus is not an impersonator. As one of us, he really was appointed by God as our great high priest. As our saviour, his actions really have rescued us from our sins 
and as a fellow sufferer, his attitude to us is one of gentleness and of grace. 